0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Contest Prep University. I'm Joe Klimczewski, as always, with Adam Atkinson. Today's kind of fun. We're going to talk about coaching horror stories, or at least fun if you're not part of one of those horror stories. Uh, so Adam, when you when you suggested this topic, I, of course, had a big grin, and I thought this is going to be pretty wild. And I started making a list of uh, people who I'm aware of, and uh, even, I'm, I'm going to, you know, Give, give a couple myself but but I'm going to start with the fact that you prompted me to think of something that I, I don't think I ever really uh, you know brought out <clears throat> of the the internal uh, motivations of my own career and that is I am probably standing here right now because I couldn't stand the ineffectiveness of my own personal repetitive horror stories with peaking. So you, you know, go all the way back to my very first contest and you're just reading through magazines and here's what everybody does. And you try the old conventional methods of peaking. And like everybody else, you wonder why do I look the absolute worst on the day of the contest? So I I immediately start investigating, okay, I must have done something wrong. And so you go to more resources and you try something else that's very similar, but maybe you just did it wrong the first time. And of course, you get the same results. So flash forward to the point where I'm just still miserable. I'm now promoting shows in my mid-20s, and I'm, I'm asking different competitors what they do. And everybody has versions of the same thing, which is like, yeah, just I guess this is how it works. You just never look your best on contest day. So <clears throat> way before there were ever any coaches... I did meet a judge <clears throat> at, a, at a contest where uh, he, he was what I would call one of the first iterations of personal trainers, <clears throat> excuse me. And he, he, was, he was in a different state. You know, we met at this contest. He was over here. And he was just a general personal trainer working with everybody from soccer moms to bankers and lawyers and factory workers. But there was this little cadre of competitors in the gym that he worked in, you know, four or five people. And he, you know, he kind of told them what to do. You know, here's what you should do. And it was always the, you know, editors of Flex Magazine or an article by Chris Aceto or something, just the same old things. Here's what Mr. Olympia did last year. And so, but I, but I thought, you know, hey, here's some promise. You know, it goes back to the earliest versions of coaching. Here's somebody who claims to know what he's doing. So I put all my trust in him. And of course wake up the day of that next show. And again, I just look like shit. I'm, I'm flat, I'm soft. And it's just all the old school methodology that we've talked about. So as I started um, investigating some of these things, I'm, I'm in college, I'm in grad school, I'm working on nutrition and so forth. And I'm starting to piece some things together in my mind that became a lot of the pioneering changes I brought to our industry. And I competed against uh, a couple of friends over and over and over in the midwest you know in the in the drug free natural bodybuilding community you know you kind of get to see the same faces and this particular guy uh was was going to compete at a pro show one of the shows i promoted he had won and i and i was able to see him there i'm, I'm seeing the show i'm promoting the show and i see him and he won now he's a wmbf pro and yet The same thing is going through my mind. He just looks awful. He looks flat. I know he can look better. And so he was my very first client. I talked him into hiring me. Let me help you get ready for your WMBF show. We're not going to do this water depletion shit. We're not going to do this sodium bloating and depletion stuff. I've I've, I've been working on this new stuff that works with physiological norms. I think you're going to be happy. And then he won a WNBF lightweight title. And so I I would say as just a foundation for our discussion today, it took all of those cumulative horror stories of just not looking your best to prompt me to create all the different methodologies that are now touted as being evidence-based and so forth. Now, I know we're going to talk about extremes today, all the way to coaches literally killing clients, but when you think of horror stories, give me give me a kind of an escalation from this point. What have you seen?
1: Well, also, to your point, one thing I want to say, there was a lot more margin for error back then on, you know, somebody being, you know, Mr. Olympia or not. So you could get away with a lot, you know, less fundamental peaking strategies then. and I do feel like... Uh, The bar has been raised so close. When you look at the top three in the Olympia this year, it was literally so close on who was going to get that title. But uh, what prompted me to do this podcast today and this topic was I, I did consultation with a client. She had been in natural federation and her reverse started going Pretty poorly. She was actually with an in-person coach, so communication was great. Um, but where reverse wasn't going so well, his idea to fix that was to start taking drugs. That was just the thing in his playbook. And, you know, being a natural competitor, she definitely didn't want to do that. You know, had to quit with the coach. Of course, she had a contract, so she ended up having to you know try to figure stuff out on her own which didn't end up working out so well so she ended up gaining quite a bit more weight than she wanted to post show just due to you know lack of knowledge i think it's really important for clients to either know is the reverse included in your prep is the coach proficient enough to properly reverse you and undo some of the what most people would call damage but i like to call it undo the suppression that happens during the prep um all of these things are certainly normal um if a coach is telling you you're going to compete and have a healthy hormonal profile uh during your prep they're lying to you it's uh you know there's some ramifications with getting to single digit body fat. So um, that just comes with the territory of being lean enough.
0: You know, you bring up two really good points that I'm going to pull together here. One back then versus now, I totally agree that the the margin for error is so slim because so many people have access to good information, good coaching. Um, But also uh, certainly today with that accessibility of good information. I I see a lot more people trying different levels of PEDs because, hey, I've worked this hard. I've worked this long. Maybe I actually had a career as a drug-free competitor. And now, you know, I'm at that TRT kind of age and I just want to try some things. Uh, A lot of women uh, are talked into from coaches using Anivar as a bit of a gateway because it's oral. It seems benign and so forth. Um, And, you know, Maybe that's great. Maybe that helps people. Maybe it can even improve your health if you are in need of something like that. But I also see it take people down a path that's not medically supervised. And it reminds me of some of those beginning days. When I was 18 years old, training in the basement of a YMCA at five in the morning, I remember a couple of young guys, you know, 16 to 18 years old, who just started getting some gear from somebody and who knows what it was back then, this was the 80s, and they just blew up. I mean, you're talking about, you know, two kids gaining 50 or 60 pounds in in six months, um, to the point where one, when he was 18 years old, had a heart attack. Um, you know, obviously, no, no physician supervision or um, you know, even even probably obviously the Internet didn't exist back then. You're not finding good protocols and safety measures and studies and and even people who amateurishly can give you some guidance. It just didn't exist. And, and I feel like, you know, today, some of those things still happen probably on smaller, uh, you know, bases. But but let, let's jump ahead to some of the things that we both know ha- have happened. Um how many How many people do you think in the last maybe five years have actually died because their coaches have said, here's what we're going to do. Super high level of diuretics. Let's cut water. Let's increase potassium, decrease sodium. The, the perfect storm for cardiac arrest. Um, how many are we up to in your estimation?
1: I mean, I would say probably eight to 10. You know, somebody passed away pre-Olympia and- you know i think there needs to be some kind of ramifications or at least watch some kind of governing body on how these coaches are performing you know um you know i see it all the time that you know coaches will advertise that their coaches under them get continuing education and they'll advertise we did it for a weekend but one thing that you have to keep in mind a weekend of education just typically isn't enough. You know, you really need more than that to essentially manicure your coaches to be good coaches. And uh, I think that's really important. Um, You know, coaches tend to highlight that they're doing education, but how much education are they really doing? How, you know, how thorough is it, you know, are they using something like, you know, you created the NAMS, which is, you know, very well accepted and a a very thorough program. Uh, I think that, you know, we tend to do it kind of the right way, which is why I always hype up what we do and still continue to do our podcast. But I would say it's a significant amount. Another thing that prompted this uh, podcast for me was the girl who, came to do a consultation with me last night. Uh, her coach recommended that she do wellness for her first show, which is a pretty extreme division. And if you look at her coach, her coach has a ton of Uh, Her clients have a ton of virilization also. And I think this client got caught up with looking at the bodies and the transformations And uh, she showed me her protocol and within the first four weeks, her voice started changing and uh, her coach said, said, well, you probably just have a cold and uh, that definitely wasn't the case. And 16 weeks later, nothing had changed on her protocol aside from adding more drugs that made it worse. And of course she's stuck with that for life. And she said, I really have no interest in taking Peds again because of this. And, you know, somebody who got a really sour taste in their mouth, I don't blame them for not wanting to take a PD ever again, but You know, there's definitely a whole lot more safe practices that could have been used. And it's just uh, really alarming to me that to me, aside from death, the permanent change for women is the most, uh, I think, large ramification that people deal with. Like people kind of tend to bitch about metabolic suppression these are all things with enough willpower you can get out of. But as of now, there's no way we can change a female's voice back to normal again.
0: Yeah, you're making me think of even things where there's there's a bell curve distribution that you know some people can do certain levels of PEDs and they are they're fine. They don't have any health ramifications during or after. Um, there are some people who just cross that line and have problems the rest of their lives. I have a current general population client who, when he was young, just did a, a just did a summer like a, a huge cycle during a summer, and you know now had to have two gyno surgeries and in at a very early age he's on TRT, um, and he's like, wow, man, just just for that time when I was 20 years old and just thought I wanted bigger biceps, you know, in a summer. But I, I also want to come back to some of the more subtle things because as a coach, I feel it's a horror story if I don't nail something perfectly. You know, with a client's trust, you're you're watching everything, it's day to day during peak week, it's hour to hour on contest day. And every single decision point, you're thinking, you know, if I do this, here are the pros and cons, here are the risk in reward ratios and, and am i making the right decision do i have enough understanding of the context of where we've been in the last couple of days and if we make the wrong decision i mean i just feel like it's death to me um and i i assume there are coaches who are just one trick ponies this is a protocol this is what everybody does if it doesn't work it's your fault not mine i'm i'm the best coach in the world you know, if, if you can have that kind of uh, narcissism, like maybe you don't feel that trepidation. But here's an example. One of my clients who is always in the top three nationally trying to get that IFBB pro card and she has the physique. And, um, you know, I, I know where we are during peak week. I, I know a little bit of her carb sensitivity levels. And, and so we're not going to risk that. She has all the muscles she needs. We just need to be tight. But I made the decision, Adam, to have a little extra sodium the night before, just so we weren't super, super flat upon wake up. It was an early, early morning stage appearance. So I said, well, let's just go, you know, go to a restaurant and it's not burger and fries or pizza or steak. Like just I, I just want you to kind of have a salad, have, have a normal meal, your normal food, but maybe get a side salad, something that I, I would know there was probably a little extra sodium And the next morning, she woke up four pounds heavier and just clearly retaining water. And, you know, again, I mean, horror story of my own making. Uh, But luckily, since it was sodium induced and it wasn't glycogen spillover, you know, we just had to move a little bit, drink some water, you know, get her up, get body temperature up. And, And within about three or four hours, she was completely back to normal you know, literally urinated that much fluid back out. Uh, but again, that's just one of those, like, like talk about almost having a nightmare. Uh, but, but how, how about, how about some mistakes? Let's, let's, let's kind of be confessional here. What are, what are some of the worst things that you have done that you, you know, were just a mistake you'd never make again?
1: Yeah, definitely overfeeding, you know, it just like you, um, I think when I first started peaking clients, I, I really went a little heavier on show day than I should have. And that was a big mistake on my end. And it took a while to figure that out because you're changing things like sodium and water, hoping to see a larger change. And really the food was the problem. And once I started limiting the show day servings, Uh, The physique was a lot more predictable. And, uh, you know, those were definitely in my earlier years of coaching. And that was something that, you know, being mentored by you. And that's something that if anyone's coaching and listening to this podcast, Joe's a heck of a great mentor, but um, it's just so good to have a second eye and somebody to help guide you through this process, because it is really hard to catch on when you had this stress and uh, you really care about people and you really care about the outcome, it it's harder to make decisions because it's always an emotional process. And I think that's where mentorship really comes into play with peaking clients. So I really can't thank you enough for like showing me the way.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and I know you have coached plenty of coaches now, and and you have uh, you know a, a growing staff of your own. So, and very, very true. I mean, I've I certainly collaborate with with my friends, and uh, everything is an extension. You know, kind of the six degrees of separation. I have clients who are also coaches, and as I'm coaching them, and they're coaching people, it's it's a feedback loop that goes both ways. So, uh, I certainly learn a lot from you and other people as well. Um, but you know what we're talking about in our own personal cases, because we do things so aligned with normal biological processes, you're never straying too far. I, I think you and I would have to be almost blindsided to do something that could hurt somebody physically. But I, I, had a, I had a situation that's exactly what you just described. Kind of early in my career, I had a client who was a pro and just an ectomorph. I mean, we just could not keep this guy full. So I thought, you know, hey, one plus one equals two. I've kind of experimented with some of this stuff with my own peaking personally. So clearly, you know, if that first meal on contest day is just massive, it would be kind of that impact like everybody talks about that that first big meal after a contest where their veins are standing up two inches off their quads. And it's like, why didn't I look like this on the day of the show? So I thought, well, we're gonna do that. We're gonna make sure we have that kind of a meal the morning of the show and for a guy who has never spilled over in his life i spilled him over and and a guy who probably could have won his won his class as a lightweight pro um you know he was i think in maybe third or fourth and just visibly softer and spilled over from that one gigantic meal you know 2 to 3 hours before the stage so very much like you that's when i started thinking okay maybe Maybe instead of gambling, even though we've completely gotten away from the old school stupid type of peaking, which is massive depletion and massive loading. I'm still doing this little bit of an undulating load where it's it's not a front end load, but it's it's finding that glycogen stability in the beginning of the week, then tapering off a little bit to refill. You know, that's that's just a milder version of backloading. So that's when I decided, let's let's maybe kind of reverse that and end up with a progressive linear load so that, as, as you alluded to, you already have enough glycogen in the muscle tissue two days prior, 24 hours prior. So on contest day, it's just there. You just have to wake up and kind of go through the motions. So again, it's, it's some of those mistakes, some of those horror stories that that lead to refining the process.
1: Yeah. And hopefully no one here has had a horror story that's, you know, permanent. And, you know, I would hate for someone to quit their career because or their hobby because of a bad experience. There are coaches that have better processes out there. Sometimes, just like you were saying, a small change in the right direction in terms of physiology is enough to take you to that next level versus you know really overshooting it. I think a lot of people put too much stock into peak week and not enough stock into the hard work and the off season to actually attain the muscle for the muscle size to be peaked. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of expect a little bit of magic on show day and. Uh, that's why sometimes people can be a little underwhelmed when we're not doing a rapid carb backload or, you know, a big fancy um, breakfast in the morning. Uh, but you still see some of that stuff. And sometimes people do that and win based on the muscle that they accrued in the off season more so versus what they actually ate that morning.
0: Maybe we should come up with some kind of funny placebos. You know, here's what you're gonna do, and then this is gonna happen. And even though it's you and I not changing anything, you know, they they think it was got to add that that sexiness to the process. But you, you mentioned that hopefully nobody's had any permanent health issues. There there are quite a few categories where people have and can, and so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, first of all, coming back to myself, when I dabbled with keto and i decided as as a hungry young pro trying to win and my nemesis is always getting lean enough i just don't have those ectomorph genes at all just don't have the ability to get deeply strided glutes and so forth but i was willing to die trying and my first foray with keto um you know literally did create some di- permanent digestive issues some some gi things because of You know, just not having any any starch, having higher amounts of fiber and fat that are very harsh to the GI system. And and I didn't realize how kind of broad spectrum that would be in in a population at large. I thought, well, maybe I've just always had a sense of GI system and and that's that. Uh, but I remember speaking one time at a conference and 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 I was talking about the perils and just the non-efficiency, the poor results you get with keto. And somebody after my lecture came up and said, Man, I didn't know that was from keto. But yeah, I'm, you know, a coach has me doing keto, and I've just been shitting my pants for months. And I said, What do you mean? Well, I haven't had a solid bowel movement in months. And I just I have diarrhea all day. And I said, well, you know, mean you mean like fecal incontinence all day? Yeah. Like, and and now there's blood in my stool. And, and I don't, you know, is it, could that be from my diet? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, yes, it it is. Uh, But by then it's permanent, you know, it's a permanent state of colitis or ulcerative colitis. And then I started watching for other people and just asking those questions because it's something that's a little, you know, awkward to talk about. And sometimes you're, as a client, you're having issues like that and you don't want to tell your coach because it falls into that TMI category for a lot of people, um, but those are the kind of things that can cause permanent changes to your health. And it was completely avoidable. You know, it was something that just didn't have to happen. And this person was even afraid to mention it to their coach thinking, well, this is just the process. This is what everybody must go through to pay the price to be great in the sport. Um, I, I know you have you're you're interested a lot and talk a lot about digestive issues and that those are things you watch for as well. And you also, Adam, consistently talk about hormone health and so forth. Uh, do you see people with permanent endocrine system issues because of their diet practices, diet methods, and or PEDs that just are you know not supervised?
1: Yeah. I think once you hit a certain limit, you're not going to go back to normal. And these are the questions that are really hard to answer. Um, I think fertility is a big one. Uh, and one way I like to explain this to my female clients is, you know, if you have not tried to have kids yet, you don't even know if the possibilities there in the first place, so if you take PDS, you may be at a higher risk of not being able to because you don't know if you could or couldn't ahead of time. Uh, I, I can say this from a dieting perspective. I've never had a client who prior to competing had children after competing was not able to. <laughs> so I have had plenty of people who have, you know, competed, and then not been able to conceive without IVF, but they also never had any data on having children before. From a PD standpoint, I've definitely seen where people have had children before, they wanted to have kids and then they couldn't. These were more hypermuscular divisions, but there's certainly a genetic bell curve there. Because I've certainly had enough who have been able to. And, you know, that's where, when I consult with people who are considering drug use, I throw out the possibility, and you just have to assume the worst side effect of fertility is going to happen. So, if you're going to bite this bullet, be willing to, you know, handle the explosion. And uh, I just consulted with a girl yesterday. I was like, do you want to have kids? And she said, yes. And I said, you know, we may not want to go down this route at all. There's really no guarantee. And there's just not enough data out there to really give us timelines on better practice. If you experience the practice, you're just taking a risk.
0: You know, that that even falls into the category. Of of course, bad practices can lead to that or exacerbate you know the the possibility but just just getting that lean you know which is in humanly starvation mode in, in a controlled intentional way it, it does have different effects on different people and i in you know 25 plus years of coaching as, as a full-time coach i was just i was just talking to austin our dietetics director and he wanted some numbers for somebody who needed some data And I said, well, you know, that, that means I've worked with probably more than 5,000 clients in my, in my career so far. And I can remember two, two women specifically who started having symptoms of, of hypothyroidism, such as just a normal, healthy, young female who all of a sudden is, is losing hair and, you know, just, just affect, um, you know, energy levels, that sort of thing. And, And you start getting those tests and and both of them were able to come back out. Well, okay, we need we need a diet break, we need to do this. Everything we've done is very responsible and, and health oriented anyway. But clearly you're not responding well. So let's kind of back out of that. And, and then it's just touch and go. And it's like, okay, here are those symptoms. Okay, we got to back out. Here are those symptoms again. We got to back out. And you reach a point where perhaps for some people, you have to say, this is just probably not the goal for you. For whatever reason, your body genetically is completely resisting being this lean, and for you to go all in and try to win in the sport, it's going to cost you a lot. and we don't even know what those costs are. Like we don't know how it could be it could be infertility, it could be long-term, you know, uh, hormone replacement therapy, it could, could be a lot of things. Um, but I think that, you know, that's the thing at, at my age now. I would be much more willing to tell clients you really need to consider, even in your first contest prep experience, to solicit the close, close attention of your primary care physician. You know, take take the time, spend the money to get some some labs every month. Uh, Really note some of those physiological changes that you can feel and perceive, Um, because, you know, maybe for 90 percent of people, there are just no ill effects at all but if you're in that 10%, you know, it could be life altering and in 10 years or 30 years or 40 years you could be saying wow, if only I hadn't done that one thing, you know, my life would have been so much better. Yeah, 1000%. So so final horror stories, let's let's go back to that dark side to to wrap up where where people have died, young healthy people as i said just trusting their coach if my coach says to do this i mean my look at all the all, look at all the wins my coach has he or she must know what what they're doing and so i'm just going to i'm just going to do it i'm just going to f- follow the the crowd and and see what happens um go ahead and you know without naming names do, do you know for example, the 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 gender, the ages, the cause of death, the circumstances. Like let's go through a couple of those and and maybe we can help people avoid that.
1: Yeah. Dehydration seems to be the number one uh you know killer, um, typically with diuretics like Bumex and uh Aldactin with you know cutting water as well uh raising potassium with that protocol tends to be a pretty disastrous ending so you know mainly dehydration i would say uh the second uh killer tends to be uh you know basically insulin and dropping somebody's glucose uh, typically the fast acting that is um a little more urgent to deal with uh Versus like a long acting, Um, and then finally, you know, there there are cases of just dieting where people have hit their head, ended up with, you know, pituitary issues from the fall, or you know, even death because no one was around to, you know, help the person after they fell, or depending on how hard they hit their head, and this is where I think blood sugar monitoring when signs of dizziness or anything come up with your clients is really important.
0: And let me, let me bifurcate those two real quickly. Uh, using insulin is not initially a contest day peak week kind of approach, but just, just in trying to, uh, you know, utilize, you know, in a kind of a hypercaloric state for pre-workout or that kind of thing. How are people, I've heard a couple different scenarios, but how are people mostly, using insulin what are coaches suggesting it for
1: yeah so it can be suggested for a growth protocol for sure um and that's the key is the bad thing is these coaches are giving this out like a protocol versus actually monitoring like what is your blood sugar look like and coaches are so afraid to teach because naturally when your people do well they're going to get inquiries on coaching and I'm just, I'm really giftful with giving my information because I want my clients to learn and I want them to say, if this happens, call me, or if this happens, you know, this is what you should do. You need those backup plans. And uh, I'll tell you, I had a client who was told to use insulin, not under my watch by somebody else. She tried it she was on the phone with me about to hit the ground and uh i told her to eat as many gummy bears as she had i was like why do you have that sugarous um or has sugar and uh at the same time i'm trying to look at her intake form to pull up her address to send an ambulance there you know just in case she goes down on the phone with me and you know ask her if she was home and, uh, you know, she stayed on the phone with me for 30 minutes and we were able to stop it. But the coach that told her to do the insulin didn't even know how to measure it. He told her wrong because he didn't know what insulin units were on a syringe. So absolutely crazy.
0: So I have one story on this and then I'll switch over to the actual cardiac arrest and peaking issues to uh, to finish. But uh, a, a top Olympia contender, a, a guy who... Uh, I think it was second in, in one of his best Olympia attempts. Uh, one of my friends, who's a real high level strength coach, went down to work with this guy and uh, this guy had a couple training partners, plus my friend, and they pulled out syringes in the vehicle before they went to the gym. and they you know, this guy just starts shooting himself with insulin to the point where he literally passes out. And then his friends basically just tilt his head back and start pouring honey down his mouth and just, you know, they had a certain amount of carbohydrate they wanted to give him to revive him, to bring him from unconsciousness and near death to this hypercaloric fed state so he could have, you know, quote, a great workout. And my friend's freaking out, like, what the fuck is going on? And like, oh, this is just, this is what we do. This is our our normal pre-workout. We just, we just literally bring this guy to near death with insulin and then bring him back and he goes in and and it is, it's very anabolic. So um, kids don't try that at home. Don't advise it. But on on a more normal standpoint, uh, and who knows, maybe some people do this on more moderate levels. But to your point about low blood pressure, dehydration, the, the people that I have heard about, uh, a young woman just dying in her sleep the night before a contest, uh, people backstage at a, at a contest, they know, some, some top pros, some amateurs, you, know, you get into that point where you're dehydrated because that's the old school inefficient protocol. And now you have also dropped sodium super, super low, and you're increasing potassium. So the aldosterone levels in your body, the cellular osmolarity, you know, between cells or or the interstitial fluid and the cell, you know, intercell fluid is, is desperately trying to regain homeostasis, but in a super, super dehydrated level in somebody who's ostensibly pretty healthy. So heart rates low anyway, they're, they're lean. um, You just end up without the blood pressure to sustain stroke volume in a normal, you know, heart rhythm, the sinoatrial node and the, the the vagus nerve, and and so eventually your heart just stops. You can just go into cardiac arrest. You can compound that with um, with the too too low of sodium, too high of potassium, so now muscle tissue just can't even contract. Your heart, your left ventricle being muscle tissue, so now you have that super low blood pressure, dehydration and you've leached all of the minerals out of the heart muscle so it can't even contract you know it you're you're just creating the recipe for heart failure and, and to be honest adam i can't believe this doesn't happen to more people i really can't
1: yeah 1000% there's definitely safe practices with using these things you do need to teach your clients good enough that they can coach people through it and that's just how it is and i know a lot of coaches are like well, why should I teach people to do what I do? But, you know, it's better than killing them. And it's certainly best to give your athletes assurance that you know what you're doing too. And if you don't, you shouldn't be telling your clients to do it.
0: Well, so far, I guess it's okay because no manslaughter charges or anything else. Uh, Coaches who have literally killed people are still walking free and coaching. So I, I I guess we can do that. But anyway, facetiousness aside, Adam, uh, fun topic. It's a little little off of our our normal beaten path here, but appreciate that. And all you guys watching, if you have horror stories, this is a time to let us know so that, uh, again, maybe some other competitors and coaches can decide, wow, I need to look into that. that. That may not be a sound practice. So we will see you next time in Contest Prep University.